It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, hello and welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens, and we've got very like we've got a whole crew this time. We've got Gary. Yeah, how's it going? It's always good to have you back. Glad to be here. And then uh, you're, it's like you're our unofficial official co-host, Jordan Parisi, is in the studio. <laughs> this is the fourth time I've been on here, so it's good. Nice. Well, let's uh, <laughs> let's make it more ha- more you know often. I'm trying. Yeah. Now it's, you tough, have, it's tough to get on here. You have some good guests, and it's difficult to get on here. It's you know we're, I've been really lucky. I've had some really good guests. And speaking of yeah. that, we have another really good guest today. It's uh, we've got a, a hockey uh, royalty as far as you know play by play. Dave Starman. Dave, how are you? I am great. How you doing? Well, we're spectacular, man. Just uh, living the dream here in Utah. It's beautiful today. I don't know if it's going to stay that way by tomorrow, no. but uh, or tonight. Yeah, tonight we might have a hard time driving home, but it's gorgeous here right now. Where are you at right now, Dave? I am on Long Island. Oh, nice! How's the how's the weather there? It, you know what we've had a we've had a pretty mild winter so far. It was like sixty degrees last week, and you know now it's more back to to normal, like kind of in the thirties. But it's been I, nobody here can complain. We've had an inch of snow so far, so we're keeping our fingers crossed it stays that way. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Dave, for my Utah uh, audience that may not be 100% familiar with you, and, and I bet they are and they don't know it, because we, we have hockey enthusiasts. That's all that listens to the show. Uh, I just wanted you to tell me a little bit about what you do right now and how you got to where you are. Oh, gosh. Uh, okay, so right now, a couple different things. One is, I mean, I'm obviously doing uh, games on TV as the analyst for CBS Sports Network. We do the package with the NCHC. Uh, I've done you know, do some work for the Big Ten Network, doing some of the Big Ten games. Uh, just finished my 12th World Junior Championships on NHL Network, uh, which was awesome as always. And so that's on the TV side. I am doing some pro scouting for NHL Seattle, and we're excited because this weekend uh, the name yeah. and logo and all that kind of stuff will get announced. And yeah, we're excited so about I, that. I, yeah, and I got to be honest, I have no idea. What the logo is, what the name is, or what the colors are. So I'm I'm as intrigued as anybody, and and looking forward to that overall star weekend and and getting some good publicity generated for the for the franchise. And and I also on the youth hockey side, I kind of run the coaching and curriculum and player development component to our tier one side of an organization. It's the it's the Junior Islanders in in conjunction with the Suffolk PAL and. And it's been uh, it's been a nice partnership, and a lot of teams and a lot of coaches to work with, a lot of players to work with, and I specifically have dialed in as, a, as an assistant coach on our U14 team, which my son's a defenseman on. But it's been a it's just been great to to be a part of it. I've coached now for I think 33 years or 34 years, and every year it's just it's it's wonderful to be able to impact the amount of young players that we can. Man, you got nothing going on, do you? <laughs> no, it's quiet. <laughs> Finally, somebody stays off, right? Finally, somebody with more jobs than I have. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, first off, I wanted to, 
we, you know, I was looking over the weekend because I know it's coming, and we're, we're excited to find out what Seattle's going to be called. And I, we kind of all knew what was going on with Vegas because if you know the tie-in with uh, West Point, you knew they were going to be, yep. we, you knew they wanted to be the Black Knights, and uh, so we kind of had an idea there. And we looked on Vegas has odds on names right now, <laughs> and so you can put money down, and it's uh, the highest, or so the lowest payout, the even money is the totems. That's like the... Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, that's the odds-on favorite in Vegas. I don't know if that means anything, but uh, they seem to usually know something because every time I try to bet against Vegas, I lose. <laughs> and then also there's... Uh, the Kra- Kraken was number two, and Thunderbirds were was up there, really? too. Yeah, Kraken was number two. I, I know what some of the names... I saw the Rainiers was, was a possibility, which I thought was really creative. I just... And I know it's really good to identify with what your local culture is and, and civic pride and, and that kind of thing and it's funny because between the name of the mountain and just the fact that it rains a lot you, know, you got a little tie in there too so I thought that was pretty neat but yeah. but I mean I, I thought it sounded cool but again I I mean I have no clue I am I am excited to, to find out I think Renegades was a possibility too and you know, I thought that worked but uh, I, I tend to leave that stuff to the people a whole lot more creative than I am yeah <laughs> that's uh, that's my thought too so, so that that actually is a good segue so with the Minnesota Wild, were you surprised that that was the route that they went with those guys? I, I, I'll tell you what, the name, I, I didn't think much about the name, but I thought about the color scheme, and it's funny because I've done, I've done hockey schools in Brainerd, Minnesota, at the Minnesota Hockey Camps for years, and I've always said to people that there is this red burgundy color that shows up on the top of the pine trees at a certain point when the sun is going down oh, yeah. every night, and it is unbelievably, remarkably beautiful, and it's hard to describe and it's hard to draw. And when I saw the wild logo with the red over the trees, I went, "Wow!" Somebody else saw that yeah, too right. and, <laughs> and nailed it. I mean, to, to me, if, if you have spent any time in central and northern Minnesota and watched sundown over the pine trees, you absolutely can identify with that red color that is in that logo. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, yeah I, I remember, I think that they came up with the name in like 99, because their first year was 2000, right? I think so, yep. And in 99, so I would have been sometime in high school, and I just remember like there was a big deal floating around in Minnesota about what was this going to be, and was it going to be the Polar Bears, or what was it going to go, and then the Minnesota Wild came up, and all of us were just like, wow, there's no way that we could have guessed that this was going to be the name <laughs> at all. But it ended up second, that's so right. it's all good. And I think it works, too. I mean, I think the, co- the color scheme's great. I think the uniforms are really good. And like I said, I love the logo, but just the fact that they got that red in there, whoever figured that out deserves every dime they got paid to design it. Yeah. yeah it's funny when they, they do that. We, we have a local team here, the Utah Grizzlies, and their, their color scheme, same thing. It's out of our mountain range, and then we have a huge copper mine here. And so that's why they have copper in the thing. And I thought, man, I never would have thought to, yeah. to do that. And it's just it's right, yeah, such you, a cool tie-in when you find out what it's all about. No, absolutely. You need that kind of stuff. I mean, I was in an expansion team in the Central Hockey League in the mid-'90s called the Macon Whoopie. And oh, yeah. Our, you know, our, our, our first logo was a fig leaf, which, you know, I had a – Funny, the day I got hired, I was down there and I said, I can't believe you guys used a pot leaf for your, for your logo. And the guy looked at me, and he almost turned white. And he said, no, no, it was a fig leaf. And I went, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, I'm the owner of the team. And I thought, well, I thought this going to be the shortest career in hockey. But, so I'm thinking to myself, bacon whoopie with a fig leaf. And then somebody said, don't you get it? Garden of Eden with a fig leaf. I went, oh, that's very clever. And then 
And then they changed the logo to a whooping crane, but the whooping crane had a bee buzzing around, so you've got the birds and the, birds the bees, and the bees yeah. in the logo. <laughs> yeah. the title. I thought it was great. You know? uh, yeah, for sure. You needed Chuck Woolery doing play-by-play. Because he was always <laughs> right. talking about making whoopee. <laughs> no kidding. All right, so, uh, and then, Jordan, you guys have met a few times, and he's it's been cool because Dave interviewed you when you were uh, a player. Yeah, so Columbus, we would have... Uh, who did we play that year? Was that it? Was that in two thousand six? Was that Denver? That w- that was two thousand. Oh no, that was two thousand five. Yeah, so that was Frozen Four. All WCHA Frozen Four, and then the NCAA made sure that would never ever happen again. So they that started putting correct, us, right. they started putting us all in the same divisions uh, for the first round, no matter what we were ranked. Um, <laughs> that sounds about right. And I remember you guys. I'm trying. CC played Denver. Yep. And CC got into all kinds of penalty trouble, and Denver won that game. And you guys knocked off Minnesota, which I think everybody was ecstatic about. And yeah. that was a really, really good championship game between you guys and Denver. I mean, that was just so entertaining to watch. Yeah, we had uh, – I, I wasn't here for that day, but Jay had Peter Menino on, and I think that they kind of talked about that game a little bit. Because oh, yeah. um, Peter, I think, was a freshman that year, and he ended up just being lights out. I think he stopped like 42 or 44 that night. And uh, – just did a tremendous, maybe even 44 or 40, whatever it was, um, and just played tremendous. And, you know, that was like such a heartbreaker for us because if you look back at that roster that we had, I mean, it, it just littered with NHL guys. Um, but, you know, they, they came out to play, and Denver had an amazing team too that year. Matt Carl was just absolutely all-world yep. that year. And, uh, and even uh, Jan St- or Peter Stastny, Paul Stastny. Paul Stassi was yeah. on that team. Stassi, yep. yep, and I think he was a freshman. So they just had these guys that were just on the brink of being, you know, NHL mainstays. So it, that was a, a phenomenal game. And just that whole season and uh, just the buzz around the NCAA tournament that year was just awesome. And to be there was tremendous, too. But then was, you, And Columbus did a really good job hosting, too. Yeah. But then, you know, I got the – one of the things that Jay's going to talk about today is uh, uh, how much you should lose and how much you should win in youth sports, and I know that that one hurt. That one really stung to lose that game. And that's actually a really good segue because, Dave, uh, you posted something the other day, and, and we had a brief discussion about it because uh, uh, you brought up the point. You're like, okay, at what age – are you not coaching to develop? What age does it matter? Wins and losses is, you know. And as I've coached, I, I coached for I think nineteen years or seventeen. I think it's nineteen. I coached seventeen with my son and a couple years without him. And uh, and then I always I, I felt the pressure. Like I knew I was trying to develop kids. And we talked about uh, when I was coaching a U sixteen team and we made it back to. Well, we went to a, a tournament in Minnesota, and I called friends that I had. I think Peter Menino was one of them, actually. And I'm like, hey, you're coaching somewhere. Can you come look at my my team? I need I need everybody to come look at my guys from Utah and see if we can get them out of here. And we had we had a really good squad for what, what Utah usually has. And I think, you know, it was we were getting high, like top ten ranks, um, and it was looking like we had a real shot at the national championship. And then I go to Minnesota in January uh, in the, on hockey day, and my kids play lights out, and I end up getting four of them. Five of them got offers right then. They had to sign by mid-January or whatever to leave our U16 AA team to go either play AAA or Junior A. One went to the USHL, and two went to the WSHL. And then they offered both my goalies. If I would have lost both my goalies, it would have <laughs> been devastating. But uh, 
the player the the players left our top scorers left we ended up not making it to the national championship because we lost one nothing in the game the semifinal but when my players left and that I allowed it my job was on the line as the coach for the U16 all the parents wanted me fired and replaced with somebody that would have kept those kids there and I had a player that wouldn't play on Sunday because we're, we're a Utah team, which is a unique, oh, right. kind of a unique thing. So, and I allowed that too. And so, parents are like, "Nope, you're too, you're too nice." So we need, we need to get a new coach. <laughs> so that, it just brings up that dilemma. All right, at what age do you start going for wins and losses? You know, that's it's a great question. Uh, I don't know if there's a great answer, but you know, here's kind of how I see it based on my experience and. You know, the one thing I, I tell a lot of parents is, hey, listen, you know, I've coached at the pro level where wins and losses means your job, you know, whether it be the Central League or assistance elsewhere. I mean, I just, I, I understand the dynamic of the results-oriented business, but to me, youth hockey is not a results-oriented business. In the, with the exception of the results are in the players that you develop. And I have often said with a lot of the different youth hockey organizations I've been with that the banners that we should be putting up on the walls are the banners of the kids that we have moved along. Just to me, there's more pride in that than anything else. You could put a super team together anywhere and go out and crush your league, but what exactly did you do? And did you provide enough good competition for those players so that they can develop and be factors at the next level? I mean, if you've got an all-world 13U team that's kicking the hell out of everybody, what's it exactly doing for them development-wise to get them ready for U14 where they might not be on a team that's all that good? And I'll give you an example. As big a fan as I am, of the National Team Development Program, and I think our guys do a really good job there. A lot of those kids come out of the National Team Development Program, which essentially is the best 23, 24 kids in their birth year, and then they go to the NCAA or they go to Major Junior, and and some of them struggle out of the gate because all of a sudden they've got to do a whole lot more themselves than they ever had to do playing at the program because they're surrounded by a lot of really good talent and a lot of players that can also make plays where they might not have been able to make one. So... So I think it's a little bit of a vicious cycle. And, you know, Kenny Roush, who runs the youth hockey department, USA Hockey Youth Hockey Development, has often said, what race are we running? Are we running the race at the end of the season, or are we running the race of long-term athlete development? And I firmly believe that that is a really good point, and it's one of the philosophies that, that I subscribe to. So when we sit down, you know, with our coaching staff, with our U14 team, the debate always sits there in the dressing room as to should we have played our top, you know, 10 kids for half the game to try to win a game, or should we dispersing ice timeouts to the kids who are making a real honest effort to play hard and compete and improve and and do their job? And you know they're going to make some mistakes along the way, and it could cost us a game here and there. But do you penalize those kids for for that, or do you play them? And my philosophy is, guys have to play in different situations to be able to develop. And nobody's going to remember these games five years from now, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, nobody's going to remember if you won or you lost on an average Saturday in February. And that's always been my bone of contention. Nobody cares. Right. So you know what? Play your kids. Let them develop. Let them go make mistakes. Then ask them what the mistakes were. Let them explain to you what they're seeing so that you can better help them as a coach, because that's your job. Let them explain to you as a coach what went wrong in their thought process so that you can get them to practice that week and start to work on the things that are going to make them a better player now which is going to make them a better player next year, which is going to make them a better player all told. And that's kind of how I see the youth hockey development structure. And that's not what parents yeah. <laughs> want to hear, right? I mean, like the parents are well, Looney Tunes. Yeah, you have uh, you have a mix of parents too, right? You have mix, you have parents that get it, and they they don't sit up right against the glass and yell and pound, and you know, and they don't 
talk to you immediately after a game. They get it. And then you have parents that are like, hey, no, it's we're, my kid's 14. He's going to the NHL next year or whatever. But uh, I had a couple different interactions. So my my soundboard for sanity always as a coach was Jordan's dad. I, I would always – I had – the luxury of having one of the greatest people I've ever known who would give me advice all the time. And I'd, be, I'd talk to him, I'd be like, hey, this is what's going on. And, and JP told me all the time, he'd be like, hey, you've got to, you know, um, I'm trying to remember the, the exact way. Oh, he was telling me one time, uh, we were talking about uh, shooting for corners. And I, I don't know if you had this talk with him, but I was, he's talking <laughs> about when players shoot at corners and then if, if they miss and the coach makes them do push-ups. Punishes them, yeah. And your dad was like, doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? You want that kid shoot, so he's going to come down next time, and he's not going to shoot for for the corner because he doesn't want to do push-ups. So in a game, he's going to come down, and he's not going to shoot corner because you know you practice and then you play that way. And so, at what point are we developing him for to be better players? And at what point are we developing just to hit hit the net every time? Right, like take- I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a, a thought on that one. Here, here's one that I've done with a lot of. With a lot, and here's the thing: I've done it at the pro level, but I've also mostly done it at the youth level. And one of the things that I tend to do when I introduce a new drill or a new skill to the guys, I don't necessarily dial in on the exact details of really what I want. I just want them to get used to the concept. And shooting is one of them. So we always talk about, yeah, you know, you want to shoot to score. And I'm a big believer in shoot to score. Don't waste shots. How many of them are really are you going to get in the game? But on the other hand, if we don't teach these players the methodology of shooting to score, then we're leaving them out there at a chance. So where I would say to a player is, hey, listen, you know, it's the first week of September. Here's what I want you focusing on. When you're taking your shots, I want you to hit, you know, sometimes you put the shooting dummy in there and sometimes you have a live goal. Just work on making sure that you hit the net. I don't care if you hit the goalie in a logo. I don't care if you hit him in his pads. I don't care what you do. Let's, let's just make sure that we are shooting within the confines of that 4 by 6 and start to aim your shots. And then as we go along, I'll say, hey, listen, you know, maybe you want to concentrate this week on shooting to hit the glove side consistently. Or maybe you want to shoot to hit the stick side consistently, depending on where you are on the ice. Then, once we get that mastered, then we can move into, hey, listen, now let's start shooting for some openings. And so you've gone through the stepladder system of how to teach a player how to look at the net, how to position their bodies, how to release their shots, what they should be using the eyes of the puck, which I think is the most underrated skill out there that nobody teaches anymore. But you've got to be able to teach a player to use the eyes of the puck and show them what the puck sees as opposed to what their eyes see. Right. And once you get through that, you know, now you're, now you're in business. Now you're cooking, and now you can start to make players into more effective scorers. And then you can build on other habits that go along with the scoring concept. But I'm right there with you guys. Like, if you tell a player just to fire it for the sake of firing it, what exactly are you teaching them? And if you penalize them, for trying to score and they don't, I mean, how much effort are they going to put to trying to score the next time? They're going to play it safe, and that's the last thing we want our guys doing. Yeah, exactly. It's funny you bring that thing up about what is the puck see, because I went to a camp with Grant Stanbrook way back in the day, and he'd make all the goalies come out, and he'd make the players stop, and he'd make all the goalies come out and get down on the ice and look, all right, see what you can see, see what the goalie's leaving open or whatever, and that was part of, the, part of your drill was looking at what the puck can see. So, Jordan. You might remember the old Jim Park videos. Like, Jim Park was a goalie out of Toronto. And oh, yeah. He did a great series. And, and you know, that's where I first started to see the eyes of the puck. And this has got to be, what, I'm 50. This has got to be, you know, 25, 30 years ago that I first saw those things. And it is, we do that with all of our goalies. And we do that with a lot of our shooters. And, you know, I, you hear me talk about it on air sometimes. I mean, I always talk about, hey, if a left handed shot is coming down the right wing side and he tries to shoot across the body of the goalie and it gets stopped, they'll often say, hey, listen. You know, the shooter might have seen the short side, but 
as long as the puck's on with the far side, and once you understand the concept, it can improve your ability to be a good scorer. Right, right. So, Jordan, uh, we've, we've talked about the, the youth part of this, and you brought when we interviewed you the first time, you brought up a really interesting part. And when I, when it was so important for me to have you on this episode because I, when I asked you the question, I'm like, player development or wins and losses? And you're like, I, I don't know the answer to this because I've been pulled so many ways yeah. in my life. And then you said something that when you were in the AHL, Yep. So, so basically, what happened, and Dave, I'm I'm actually really curious because because you know like the Shattuck model and kind of what I grew up in, and yep. and then you go into North Dakota and, and and you know, and jokingly we talk about my dad, but uh, you know, jokingly what he would say is, you know, winning's not that important, but you better not lose. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm sure that you can hear him saying that, but uh, you know, so you know, we go to Shattuck. I grew up in Bloomington, Jefferson in minnesota and at that time was just an absolute powerhouse and a winning organization so we were kind of like we got to see from the high school level or from a really young kid you got to see the high schoolers i think during that period they they won like 61 straight games in high school hockey and so we got to see like all of these excellent guys winning a lot of games right out of the gates and then later on uh my dad went to Shattuck and then both my brother and I went there as well he kind of brought that mentality of you know we're here to win games we're here to play a lot of games but of course we're here to develop and so as we were developing as players and as people and you have a lot of really excellent people and players that are doing this you're bound to win more games so we were in a situation where we were always winning games at Shattuck and then um a couple of years later, I go to University of North Dakota, and at that point, I think that they were first in uh, national championship wins. And so, again, this is another situation where winning is the norm. And uh, so, this, I mean, this for literally from six years old was the way that I looked at hockey is you are going out here to win. And over the course of time, and, and people will ask, well, does winning – bring development or does losing bring development and i quite frankly don't know the answer because i grew up in a strictly winning environment my entire career and then all of a sudden i got to new jersey and i went down to the minors and uh we we had lost i mean we were the worst team in the league at this time and i was i was winning games but overall our team was losing and constantly losing and we didn't even make playoffs this year and that was the first year in my entire career that i did not play in some sort of a postseason and uh, during the middle of the year, as we're you know under a 500 team, I was so frustrated. My goalie coach saw that I was so frustrated, uh, and his name is Chris Terrarian, and he just said, "Well, you just have to understand, like this isn't about winning here; it's about developing." And like my mind was blown. It, this was the first time in my entire career. Uh, I'm and you know I'm 25 years old. The first time in my life where somebody told me, "No, winning's not that important." And I didn't know how to handle it and, it, and it really rubbed me the wrong way, and it made me very resentful of the organization that I was with or with the, you know, in the minors and, and, and the mindset of how we were going into games. It's not, we're not going in to win the game. We're going in to try to develop, and I just could not wrap my head around that. Um, so I'm interested to hear, and, you know, again, like you have a pretty good understanding of, of where I grew up and where my brother grew up and, and then, you know, how our careers have gone, and I'm just very curious to hear what your thoughts are on i mean can you understand why i would be more it would probably be wiser for me to say listen winning absolutely breeds development because that's exactly the environment that i grew up in a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon but violence is only the beginning of this story 
Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I, I think you make a really good point, and I do think that winning, I do think winning is important, but I do think that it's got to be put on a perspective depending on the level that you're at. And it's, you know, I, I listen to what Terry says, and I, and I understand it because when I was in the Central League, obviously, you know, we were, we had some affiliations, we had some kids that we were trying to move along, but, you know, our goal really was we had to win games. And while we were working on the development component, we, it was important for our jobs and for the owner to get fans in a stand to sell more beer. I mean, we knew we had to win games. And, <laughs> and, and that was a fact. You know, we, got, we understood that dynamic. But, you know, I think it changed a little bit more on the youth side of things because I think you can do both. I think you can, you can go and play to win. And we, you know, we always telling our kids, hey, listen, we're, we're, here to, we're here to win games. We're here to play to win. And we want the players to play to win games. We want them to do everything they can to try to win a game within the parameters that we have set them up to do so. But on the other hand, you know, there are times where I'm standing behind the bench and, you know, normally I run the defense. And there are times where I'm standing there and I'm saying to myself, listen, I can put out a pairing that I know might get a little overmatched here. But if I don't throw them out there, what kind of read am I going to get sure. on them? And if and you know what, if they give up a goal, they give up a goal and we'll we'll deal with it. You know, there are other times where where you try to avoid those matchups too and you know, then you get into that concept where a lot of people say, Well, what if you get into the last three, four minutes of a game, you know, then what are you doing? You know, my feeling is this you can rely on the guys who you know are your top guys, or you can rely on the guys who you're top in your top guys in that game. You know, I think it goes game by game also. I think that's one of the great beauties of the coaching world is you know, you gotta figure out in a sixty minute game when you get to minute fifty five Who've been your test best, ten best players in that game? Because sometimes your ten best in that game aren't your ten best. Right. You're on your roster. That's a great perspective. And, and that, right, and that makes a factor too. And then how do you how do you not reward a couple of players who have really overachieved in that game and are just feeling it and going well, as opposed to you know maybe your top guy who's not having a great game. You know, then he becomes more of a hit or she becomes more of a hindrance than than a help. And I think that's that's all tied into the coaching component, but. I think you can develop players with winning. I think you can develop players by losing. I think the NHL is loaded with a lot of players. They'll probably come from programs where they never won a darn thing. And I think there's a lot of guys like yourself who, who you know, were on teams that had that mentality and had that culture and, and, and had the, the talent level and the coaching where you were consistently really good. And you know something? I think in, in a very unique roundabout way, everybody gets where they're slotted to get to based on the genetics and dynamics that they came into this with. Right. And that, and you know, for f- now that I've become a coach, uh, I coach a U16 team here and then um, do individual lessons and I, and I coach another team as well. But for me, it has been, f- and it's weird, you know, now, now that I'm talking through this, but it's weird. I have been far less concerned with my team winning rather than just making sure that my guys go to work every day. You know, and yep. that they try hard and they do their best. And I tell them, I don't care if you mess up. I've messed up five thousand times uh, per year, and and that's okay as long as you're going to work and as long as you're trying new things and trying to be creative. But the minute that you take your foot off the gas and the minute you start being lazy, then we have a problem. And that's kind of been my philosophy with coaching, whether it's right or wrong. I hope it's right <laughs> now that I'm talking. To you, but, you know, that's kind of how I've approached my teams now, and and it's. You know, I, I continually have talked about winning, 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 but as I've become a coach, it has been far more of 
How can we make sure that these kids are understanding that you can't take days off and you can't take shifts off? You've got to go to work. You've got to figure this out every single day, every single shift. Um, and it's just there is no excuse for being lazy. That's kind of how I've taken my as, – as I've developed as a coach – in for better or for worse, that is that's kind of the direction that I've gone. I'll tell you what. Well, one coach that's been around a lot of winning, and I like your point by the way. One coach that's been around a lot of winning. Uh, a couple times I played in the minor leagues and has been through college programs that have been successful. Is Chris Bergeron is now at Miami University, and you know, I was talking to Chris last week getting prepped for a game, and Chris said to me, he "Goes, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to do here at Miami is convince our guys." that they need to compete every day and they need to defend every day, whether it be in practice or games. Those are two major things that are going to make us successful is competing and defending. And they're not natural instincts, they're choices. Yes. So if you don't make those choices on a shift-by-shift, minute-by-minute, practice-by-practice basis, it's going to be really hard for you to, A, earn your ice time in the lineup, and, B, become a better player. Because if you're not a 200 player that's hard to play against, it's really hard to find a job at the pro level where it's a dog-eat-dog world. And if you're not prepared physically, mentally, emotional every day, you get spit up and you get chewed out. And I thought that was so well said. And I think it surmises a lot of what you just said, and that is that there's more to it than just the results at the end of the game. Like, what did that player give you in that game? And, and what has that player given you in practice? And, and where are they trending? Because let's be honest about it. You know, we called you 14, you 15, you 16. And from the time a player goes to U14 to U16, they can make some tremendous strides yep. in, in what they are as a player and as an athlete if we as the coaches invest the proper amount of time and the proper amount of effort and the proper amount of education into those players, which goes back into what we've been talking about, and that is that long-term athlete development. So I'm looking at this U14 team that I have, and I'm thinking to myself, who in this group do I really think can take a step to be a Division One or Division Three NCAA player by the time that they're 19? So I'm not thinking about their U15 year. I'm right. thinking about their U19 year. And can I give them the building blocks to make them the player that they're going to need to be to get to that level and succeed back then so they can call me back and say, hey, you know what, you really prepared us on a physical, mental, and emotional level to be able to compete at the level that our goal was set for. I like that. You know, you know, Jordan, you, you said that uh, no excuse for being lazy, and I know we've – We've talked to a few players. <laughs> That's what I'm just going to bring up, right? That have, that were lazy and they they weren't into it, and uh, they they eventually got a wake up call. But uh, well, Jordan was the wake up call for one of them, right? Oh, right. <laughs> that I was coaching. Oh, yeah, yeah Garrett, that's, when you called well, Garrett right. Metcalf out, and that's you right. told him he was lazy and to quit wasting his dad's money to quit hockey, <laughs> and now he's an NHL draft pick. But that's what I was going to say. Is it sometimes at, at the U13, 14, and maybe even 15 age, you have the kids that you're like, this kid's going to be a superstar. And this, this, and for Utah, obviously, this is a unique market, right? But I, I coach these kids where I'm like, well, like with, with Nick Halloran, who's just been nominated for the Hobie Baker Award again at Colorado College. When I was coaching him, you knew he was the real deal. You always knew. He had it. He worked every day. He was, you know, he had a rink in his backyard, which is unique for Utah. And he was like, this is what I do. I play hockey. I love it. And then I had other kids like Garrett Metcalf or Daniel Brickley that – I hate to call them out like that. I'm not trying to say anything negative against them, but they admit themselves that they were lazy at times at 14, 15, and you know, we called them out on it a little bit during camps or whatever, and they didn't care at the time. But for Daniel, it was like when he was 16, he's like, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm big, and I'm going to I'm going to be aggressive with it. I, and uh, it clicked for them. So the ones the ones at 14 that I thought were going to go were not the ones at 18 were going. 
except for maybe Nick Halloran. And well, I, I guess we have five or six guys that I coach at that age group that are now in NCAA. But um, and then, but the ones that were the hottest kids besides Nick Halloran, like Nick was our superstar, and then we had other superstars that are no longer playing the game, my son included, that I thought I did everything right <laughs> with, who's just like, yeah, I'm going to play soccer, I guess. You know, like, it's just weird because, yeah, we – we want to help guide them through, and we want to say, oh, this is the kid, and we're going to give him special attention, and we're going to help develop this kid. And we, I thought I knew the right way, and um, I, got, I got great advice, and it, it worked for a lot of kids. I didn't expect it to work to work for, and then some kids just burned out. I, it's just one of those things, like, you never know who you're helping. Yeah. No question. I think, you know, I think the great challenge for us as coaches is to be able to identify – each player for what they are at the age that they're at. And, you know, some players need a kick in the ass and some players need a hug. Some players need to get talked to. Some players need to get talked to a little more sternly. We're approaching an age where, or an era where you can't really yell at players anymore because you're going to lose them. There's still a lot of coaches out there that love to yell and scream with their guys and, and do all kinds of stuff that worked in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, then, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't work anymore. And if, if you're not aware of, of how to relate to your athletes, regardless of what age there are, you, you have no chance of, of being successful as a coach. And, you know, I've learned a couple of great lessons along the way. And, you know, one is these kids don't know how – they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if you can't make a connection with each player on your team uh, during the course of a week, it is really hard to get them to buy into what you want them to do because they have to know that you're in it for their best interest, not yours. And I, I have never seen a coach at the U15 level get fired for going 500. And yeah. I have seen coaches get fired because their players aren't going anywhere. But I have never seen a coach get fired at the U15 level, U14, or U13 because they had an average season. But I've seen a lot of these coaches get a chance to get promoted and stay with their age group if those players are showing progress. And the progress to me is not the wins and losses. The progress is, are these kids getting better? And You know, Jordan, I know you probably know Red Gendron from, from your time in New Jersey. I mean, you know, Red was a two-time Stanley Cup winning assistant coach at the Devils. He was an assistant coach at Yale when they won the national title. You know, now he's at Maine. And you know, Red once said to me, he goes, Dave, he goes, the reality is the team that gets off the bus with the best players generally wins because your challenge as a coach is to see if you can make your team the team that's got the best players in that game. And I wholeheartedly believe in that philosophy. Yeah. yeah. I like that. This is good stuff. But it, it, like, it just kind of makes you think of that there are so many guys out there that are, you, you know, coaches that have their heart in the right place. Um, but you know, and you want to win games and you want to do the right things. But I mean, quite frankly, I, I think that, you know, especially now that I've gone through some of the coaching seminars and listened to the ADM model and all that, I mean, it's been, you can tell that in USA hockey, they're really doing their best to uh, make sure that we're developing not only as players, but as people and, and making sure that, you know, you continue on the proper path as opposed, you know, you're not getting yelled at so much and you don't have as many kids that are burning out and you have much more of a focus on development and, you know the other the other I I know that I said this on my uh, one of the podcasts that I've done before, but probably for whatever reason the message that I that has resonated with some of the kids that I've dealt with so far is uh, there's a um, clinical psychologist that that said this in one of his books, and he said that uh, and what I tell these kids is you should compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who somebody else is today. And so I, I, you know, put that on them of, listen, like some days you're just not going to have it, but as long as you're making strides to try to be better than the person that you were yesterday or better than the person or the player that you were yesterday, then eventually you're going to start, you know, getting your feet back in order and you're going to start going. So 
you know, it's hard. It, it, it's really hard during that deve- developmental process of maintaining that and, you know, enjoying it. And so um, I'm glad to see that USA Hockey and, and you know, the, everybody's kind of like embracing these these uh, changes in how kids are developing. Uh, should we be winning? Should we be working on development? You know, and all the and so kids are uh, are understanding these things. Coaches are understanding things. We just got to get to the parents next and <laughs> help them understand. That, hey, I'm just trying to develop your kid. You know, what? and I started every season with a parent meeting where I I just went through that same thing and I, I talked about hey the referees are there and I'm just so glad that they dropped the puck and anything beyond that just. It's going to happen. It's going to be bad calls. It's going to be right calls. It's going to be whatever. It's just going to be an experience, and we're all going to go through it together, but don't freak out about it. And sometimes, and I always just rolled lines. There, a couple times I didn't, but most of the time I just rolled lines. And that way I felt like, all right, this kid, who knows what's going to happen? You might have injuries, so your star player might not be there, and you need that kid that was the third-line kid before. He needs to have that same experience or some of that last, you know, the two, last two minutes of a game experience to protect a lead or try to get a lead or, you know, to tie it. Cause you never know who's going to be come playoff time. You never know who's going to be your guy. And then further that you never know who's going to be the guy that gets out of your market either. Like it's, it's so crazy here, but uh, your dad told the, one of the best things your dad ever told me that I believe to this day. And then I started putting into all my literature for my camps and everything is this is when, uh, I was going to send Tegan to Shattuck and your dad's like, yeah, you could do that. No goalies get scouted from Shattuck, but because why? You know our goalies don't get tested that much. But uh, all that matters because the parents lose it too. And there was a recent article about don't worry about the alphabet of what team your kids on. Right? That's crazy. Right. But uh, JP told me he's like, look, I don't care if your kid goes down to the pond and plays every day. The important part is that he loves the game. He or she loves the game. Right? Like keep the passion for the game, and then the rest will click later. Like. I, I put some faith in that. It, it's hard to because as a kid, as a parent, you're like, oh, my kid's not on the AAA team this year. Right. He's getting passed by and he's, he's not going to catch up again. Yeah. And it, it's, that's, that turns out not to be the case. I mean, sometimes, yeah, those AAA kids get better, but so do the AA kids or the single A kids, and that single A kid can make the AAA team next year. And now I have two great examples of that here with Trevor Lewis, who was not a good player. And then Daniel Brickley, who was not a good player. And it was so funny to be in the locker room uh, during Thanksgiving break. Daniel Brickley and uh, a kid that we were going to have on here, Jared Pike, who plays at AIC. They were, yep. sitting, they, they were sitting there and they're like, hey, remember a few years ago when we both sucked? <laughs> and now they're both, you know, one's, one's got an NHL contract and the other one's pl- killing it in the NCAAs. So it's just. I'm telling you, the free agent scout from Montreal, I chased Dan Brickley all over the country for three years. I mean, like, that kid just got steadily better uh-huh. through his NCAA career. And you, you could just see the stride that he was taking on a, almost a month by month basis. I mean, that, that kid made himself into a really good player. Yeah, he came back one year and was clearly the best player here. And we had other, I mean, we had NHL players on the ice. And all of a sudden he was fast and he's big. To, to be that fast was crazy. The, the progress he made, I don't know if that's genetics or what, because he. He was just all of a sudden an NHL Brickley, like the rest of the well, NHL yeah, Brickleys. And, and talk about the bigger players too. I mean, like, uh, like I think of the kid that played at North Dakota a little bit after you to George Matt Smeavy, who oh he was, was even as a freshman. Yeah. You know, yeah, Smeavy was okay as a freshman, but like he just got better and better as he grew into his size. And like I remember Brian Boyle as a freshman at Boston College. I mean, yep. that was hard to watch. And yeah. <laughs> but over three years, 
boy, did that kid become a ball player. I mean, and, and Jerry Yard probably did him the biggest favor that he could have. They had some defensive injuries his junior year, so Brian had to go back and play defense, and you know, that took his career to a whole different level. It changed the way he skated. It changed the way he saw the game. It changed the way he processed the game, and, and, and it made him a better athlete by, by having to play D and work on his lateral mobility and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, all of a sudden, Brian Boyle as a six foot seven freshman looked a whole lot different as a six foot seven senior because he just grew into his body and he became a, you know, a really good pro and he, and he, and he still is today. You know, sometimes with those bigger guys, it takes a little longer to get the long levers moving. And, you know, I, I, I've always felt that the bigger guys will develop later. The smaller guys can develop at times a little bit faster because they just understand small because they always have been. And, but now with, with the player development model that we have with USA Hockey and a lot of the small area game stuff and a lot of the, the unstructured chaos and a lot of the station work and that kind of thing where it's a skill-based program, you know, every time that I do the Select 16 camp, whether it's at the New York State level or the national level, there are the six-foot-two kids that, you know, at times are more skilled than the smaller guys, and that is where the worm has turned, I think, on the player development side. Any big player can become a good player, and... and any player that we work with and we work with properly can develop into a good player. But you guys have the nail on the head. If that player wants to become a good player and they got passion for the game, they're going to make strides. And they're going to catch up to players that are way ahead of them on the depth chart than they are now. And and your other point about don't compare yourself to anybody else, but compare yourself to you and the player you were last week, I tell that to my kids all the time. I tell it to my son all the time who's on our team. I say, don't worry about what you're seeing around you. Just make sure that you're a better player than you were last week. And if you're not, let's discuss why not. And let's discuss how you're going to get better next week. And those short-term goals, I think for these younger kids that are developing in any sport, that to me has got to be primary number one. Do you think that that message lands on kids? Because I think back to when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, and I mean, it was just constantly comparing myself to everything that was around me. It was I never had like those moments of introspection of like, hey, just take care of yourself, even though those messages were always sent to me. Um, do you think that it like lands on the kids that you tell them or you know, say that to? I think in this day and age it does because I think the message is probably more consistent universally. And I, I think we've come such a long way in the psychology of sport that we can get that message across because it's being delivered with it's being delivered with uh, probably a little bit more gusto, with all, probably a little bit more information to back it up, right. and probably with coaches who you know understand the process in play and can sit with a kid and sure. work with them through what the meaning of that statement is. Oh, yep, I agree with you. So, as we're coming to the end of this, and we've talked about a lot, I think we've jumped all over the place. I think, and that's is exactly it, right? Like, there's. There's no real answer. I was going to say, if we just muddied the waters even worse. <laughs> so that's what I that's what I want to clear up right now. So if you're if we'll go we'll take turns. Dave, we'll start with you. Um, if you're going to give a parent advice right now about what's going on in in in, in their hockey, let's we're talking to a parent of a ten year old. How old are your kids, Gary? Uh, eight and thirteen. So we're talking to a parent of an eight and thirteen year old, and we're going to give them advice about what's what's about to come. And uh, wins and losses versus development. What what would you tell a parent right now? For the eight year old, I would say make sure you're playing a ton of different sports. Make sure you're enjoying the sport, and make sure you're playing in a program where the program is based on player development and making sure the kids are having a great time and they're safe, as opposed to anything else. The thirteen year old, it's the same message, but I think that who they choose to coach their kid 
is a huge deal. You want a coach that is fully invested in getting the full potential out of every player on his roster and is coaching to make his players better, is coaching to make his players enjoy the game, is coaching to give these kids an education, and is coaching with a philosophy that their practice time is as important, if not more important, than their game time. And I look for programs where the practice-to-game ratio is high. I know we like to keep all of our teams under 50 games. As soon as somebody books the 51st game, the red flag goes off, and we ask them why. I'd like to get it down to 45, and if I can, and increase the practice time. And i got a personal philosophy of I'd rather play three weekends a month and keep the fourth weekend as a practice weekend and use the game slots on the weekend to practice instead of play and maybe do some off-ice with it too. So, so I mean, I see it that way. But I would tell any parent, you know, make sure, A, your kids play multiple sports, B, put them in a program where the emphasis is not on playing the top five kids all game, where the emphasis is on making sure the players play, making sure practice is well-structured, and making sure that they're in an environment where they can continually get better. That's exactly perfect. what I would say, too. <laughs> <laughs> and that's perfect. I wondered that if that was excellent. Was... That was excellent. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. and I would, I, I would just add to that that, no, it's a process. And then just don't get caught up in the little things. Yeah. Just know that this is a long-term thing, and there are going to be speed bumps, and there's going to be super progression, and there, it's, it's, a, it's a pendulum, man, when you're talking about development. Sometimes you're the best, and sometimes you're not the best, and don't freak out as a parent. That's something I learned yeah. as a parent. That's something I learned as a coach. Yeah, it can be tough, but both my kids have, I think, have that. So just to hear that makes me feel better. Well, you and, they, I, you and I put a lot of thought of where we were going to have your kids play and who, like, right. we, we sought out coaches that we knew had those. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the, I, I don't know how to say this, I would sound like a jerk, but <laughs> I feel like this validates what I was fighting for for so long with the organization that I was coaching in. And I didn't have, I didn't have to fight within the organization because everybody, well, it was me and Matt Green. We, we had the same uh, mentality as far as develop the kids. One, and, and this is the same thing with my camp, and this, uh, I, I preach this every year, make it fun. And I know that that's a bad word for a lot of people, but that goes exactly with what your dad's saying, is if they're having fun every day at the rink, the passion is there, and it's so much more enjoyable, and the development shoots through the roof. Because they want to mm-hmm. learn, because yeah. they enjoy learning. And when you put those, I put these complicated drills out, and they're hard, and, and they're not just complicated, they're non-stop moving drills. And these kids are getting skated to death, and they have no idea they're getting skated to death, because they're having fun with the drill, and they're doing the things that, like I, like your dad taught me to teach every time, is every drill should have, uh, make a pass, catch a pass, some kind of deception, and a shot. And those, when you set those drills up and those kids are doing it and they're having fun with it, you can work them to death. And then, again, boom, the, the development goes through the roof. And those teams that have, those teams that everybody's playing and there's no animosity between each other. And I, know, I coached a year of junior, the WSHL or whatever, and maybe I didn't, I didn't practice what I preached then. I, I did just start the same line over and over again. But all up before that, I think all the players that I had liked each other they all felt like they belonged which i thought it was it was a huge part of it right they had a place where they all belonged and they all they were vulnerable together and they were successful together and those teams stayed together like almost the entire time i coached and now i get invited to their weddings it it means the world to me it's it's, here's the you know here's the thing about that and 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 you're touching on a good point as soon as the parent makes it about them and it's not about the kid the game's up like, yeah. I, I firmly believe that. As soon as the parents make it about the parents and, and not about their kid, 
it's over. And that I think is the great trap that we're in. Yeah. So that's I think that's our the the takeaway from from this episode for any parent that's listening, which I think is a lot of them, is just believe in the process. Don't make it about yourself. Let your kid get out there and have fun, and just keep playing the game. I mean, it's the greatest game in the world, and there's a reason for it. Yep. All right, Dave. Absolutely. I do. I do have another question. Go ahead. To, let's talk about the penalty song during the World Juniors. Oh my God! Uh, <laughs> that thing was you, you so. Know, that thing went, could drive you to drink. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> that thing went so if, if, viral. I've never, I've never heard of the concept of doing that. But man, every penalty, and you were there. If, if I was coaching one of those teams, I would say to my team, "If we can get through this thing penalty free, it's a bonus for everybody." <laughs> 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 I would have bottles of wine in the stalls. I mean, it just, holy smokes, was that aggravating. And yeah. I don't get it. I don't know why they did it, but it, it, let's put it this way. Thank goodness it's over. We don't have to deal with it again. Yeah, hopefully that never comes up again. But, Matt, it was it, – I, I shouldn't say this, but if you made it a drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> I know people have. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the college kids have. Anyway, Dave, I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time and, and uh, helping us help the people in Utah. And uh, Jordan's knee deep in it now, coaching here and uh, trying to trying to help the culture along here. Uh, Gary is knee deep in it as well with young kids, and I'm just on I'm on my way out. So I'm on. The, I'm on well, hopefully, the, hopefully, we did some good for some people, and and we got we got the message across. And, and if you can make some people think. Uh, to me, that's the best part about it. People listen to this and say, "Hey, you know what? Those guys probably have a point." And, some will listen to it and say, you know, I'm not sure I agree with that, but at the very least I was willing to listen to it. But it, it's always good to have people who are passionate about the game and about the kids involved in the game, and I think that's why that's where our game is continuing to grow. Dave, it's great talking to you. I, I really appreciate you bringing up that story, too. I can't believe that that was 15 years ago, but um, when uh, when you said that uh, you, watch, you watch my dad score that goal against the Islanders, or excuse me, against the Rangers, uh, I can't believe that uh, – uh, that you remember that story, that both of them, that you were at that game, and that you remember that story when we were talking at the uh, NCAA tournament. So you're a good oh, guy. I, I appreciate absolutely. it. Like I said, that that was the night I became an Islander fan as a kid, and I mean, it was April 11th of '75, and, and it was <laughs> unbelievable. I came from a family of Ranger fans. Your dad scored that goal. I was in, and it turned out to be a great ride. And I mean, who the hell knows? I mean, do I get as hooked on hockey as I did if that didn't happen? You know what I mean? Like, right. just, wow. and then Aaron was going to win four cups, and, and the United States wins a gold medal, and Lake Placid, and it was the perfect storm for a young kid in New York to to want to love this game and play this game. But you know, that was a big part of it. So when people ask me, you know, why were you a hockey fan, and what was your thing, I, the first thing I point to is that night at the Garden because that started it. Wow. That's awesome. That's so yeah, cool. That's great. That's amazing. All right, cool, Dave. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. You got it anytime. Hey, good luck, guys. We'll all run into each other down the road for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Thank you. All right. That was the Utah Puck Report. Thank you so much for listening. The Utah Puck Report is a kslsports.com podcast. And uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, then you can. All you got to do is text the word puck to 57500. And you can also uh, catch us online, too, at kslsports.com and right there at the Arrow website, 1035thearrow.com. That's awesome. And uh, we want to thank Josh Tilton, our producer. He's the one that keeps us in line, keeps the things rolling. And he doesn't roll tape, as you would say. He does not. But uh, he does he does produce the show in all the digital ways. So once again, thank you so much for listening to the Utah Puck Report. Yeah,